Jacobin Radio. I'm Susie Wiseman. The British general election kicked off on November 6th, which means Britons cast their vote on December 12th, a mercifully concentrated, if intense, political timetable, especially compared to the seemingly endless American campaigns. Writer Tarek Ali, his last but one book is aptly titled The Extreme Center, joins us with his analysis of the election and specifically Jeremy Corbyn and the Labor Party campaign. The stakes couldn't be higher, and if the conservatives, the Brexit Party and the Lib Dems have their way, the campaign will focus on Brexit, which has sucked the air out of politics and worse, has divided the working class and the left without addressing what led people to vote to leave in the first place. Labor leader Jeremy Corbyn has made his campaign about reversing the decades-long night of austerity and the need to commit 400 billion pounds of investment to the twin crises of the climate emergency and social deprivation. Tina There Is No Alternative, made famous by Margaret Thatcher and continued under Tony Blair, is being challenged everywhere, as neoliberalism has only led to extreme inequality and worsening living standards for all but the rich. We'll get Tarek's insights when Jacobin Radio returns in just a moment. Welcome to Jacobin Radio. I'm Susie Wiseman. We're going to talk about the UK general election. It began on Monday, November 6th, and it lasts until December 12th, the day of the vote. Unlike our own seemingly endless campaign season, the British election campaigns are short and intense, and they follow a very strict timeline once they're triggered. Boris Johnson, the current prime minister, leader of the Conservative Party, otherwise known as the Tories, launched his campaign in the conservative Daily Telegraph, likening Jeremy Corbyn of Labour to Joseph Stalin with the headline, quote, it made me laugh, quote, the tragedy of the modern Labour Party under Jeremy Corbyn is that they detest the profit motive so viscerally. They point their fingers at individuals with relish and a vindictiveness not seen since Stalin persecuted the Kulak. Jeremy Corbyn, more left-wing Labour Party leader, was responsible for bringing in half a million members to the Labour Party in the run-up to the 2017 general election. And he began his campaign speaking passionately about the need to commit £400 billion worth of investment to the twin crises of the climate emergency and social deprivation. Well, we're really fortunate to have Tarek Ali in London here with us to explain. Tarek is a writer and a filmmaker. He's written more than two dozen books on history and politics and seven novels uh, that have been translated into more than a dozen languages. He's also written plays and scripts for stage and screen. He's the editor of New Left Review and lives in London. And his latest two books are The Dilemmas of Lenin, Terrorism, War, Empire, Love, and Revolution, and in 2015, The Extreme Center, A Warning. Both were published by Verso. Tarek, so good to have you on Jacobin Radio. Hi, Susie. Very good to be with you again. Thank you so much. So let's just begin. Can you give us an idea of Corbyn's program? What are the issues that his campaign is focused on? What does he aim to accomplish? And who's he trying to reach and win over? It's very straightforward. What the Corbyn program is a break with neoliberal capitalism and a reversion to social democracy, fairly traditional social democracy. But given the world we live in, what he is proposing sounds ultra-radical when it used to be the norm 
about 30, 40 years ago. So if we go through it, uh, huge spending on infrastructure, uh, cancellation of tuition fees for higher education for all students. I mean, basically what has been happening in the universities is appalling. Mm. Large numbers of school leavers cannot go to university because they can't afford the tuition fees, which incidentally was not introduced by the Conservative Party under John Major, but was an innovation by Tony Blair and his Chancellor Gordon Brown, right-wing Labour politician. Wow. Okay. So Corbyn has said that this tuition fees will be uh, cancelled and higher education uh, will be uh, free again, a lot more money into... Uh, into the education system, there is talk now of making the private schools pay taxes. They're currently uh, spared any amount of, you know, they don't pay any tax at all. They're regarded as charities. <laughs> so there are going to be upheavals on the National Health Service, where a process of privatization and bringing the private sector into uh, the National Health Service once again was begun by Blair uh, is, and then carried on by the Conservatives so that the latest situation is that Boris is saying that he, he's done an economic deal with Trump uh, and the United States and Trump on his last visit here said publicly one of the things uh, we need Britain to do is remove all regulation from the health service, otherwise no deal. So the, uh, a big emphasis is being placed by Labour on ending all, every single role played by the private sector in the health service and reverting to uh, what it used to be. And uh, linked to this, is a decision by Corbyn now to add to this, not just reverting to normal, but the state setting up a generic medicine, a pharmaceutical company, mm -hmm. which will reduce costs, uh, help the health service, and could lead to an end in all prescription charges. So this and would be a nationalized sort of generic company? Yeah. It would be created by the state to produce cheap medicines. I mean, the aim of creating a state pharmaceutical company is to produce generic medicines and to destroy the hold which the big pharma has on the health service, which means that for some diseases, the medicines are so expensive that the health service simply cannot afford them. So this is going to change, and this, I think, is a very radical innovation, which um, the uh, people who set up the health service, Atlee and Nybevan, didn't do mistakenly. Mm. So it's a challenge to big pharma, and it'll be an extremely popular uh, move. A lot more spending on public housing, and I would say all this is extremely important. But what frightens the rulers of this country and the conservative and liberal opposition parties is that Corbyn has made it very clear that he will not ever press the nuclear trigger uh, on his own. It's impossible. He said, I will not do it. Now, for this, he's been attacked 
but it's actually he he only said that because he was asked would you press the button and he said no and basically he should have gone on i think he missed a trick there to say no british government can pull that can press the nuclear trigger in any case, this is a decision made by the United States. Britain does not have any independent nuclear weapons to speak of, and submarines uh, carrying the missiles cannot use them without prior permission from the United States. And uh, that's just a fact. So this notion of Britain being an independent power is a load of rubbish, and that will not change. It'll probably get worse. It if sounds so old-fashioned. Yeah, it really does sound old-fashioned to talk about that. Okay, so Tarek, I wanted to ask you. I was going to ask you about Brexitness, but I think first we should uh, continue in the vein that you are going. And in your 2015 book, so aptly named, uh, you know, the Extreme Center, uh, you named the neoliberal political forces who had successfully built themselves around the globe as the only alternative. But now, you know, that seems seemingly stable and strong center is under attack almost everywhere. And I see Joseph Stiglitz wrote an article just yesterday saying, uh, former uh, the Nobel Prize winning economist, yeah. that the mantra of neoliberalism, the economic mantra of privatization, and it'll lead to, you know, uh, higher living standards all over the, all everywhere, uh, it, that seemed, it, and that this mantra seemed so strong and so unquestionable, you know, until recently is now under attack everywhere, and he says that it's completely false. The evidence over 40 years has shown that it hasn't done what it's promised to do. It's only uh, created, you know, upward uh, uh, redistribution of wealth and, and, and soaring inequality absolutely everywhere. So given all of that, the problems of neoliberalism, and as you so rightly state, much of it put into place by the Blair and Clinton forces, that um, the chief beneficiaries politically have been the populist authoritarian right, and that's notably Boris Johnson in the UK and, and Nigel Farage. But today there seems to be these counter forces that are are not only, uh, you know, appearing, but being very popular, like Sanders in the US and Corbyn in Britain. So how do you see that evolution in the UK with the strength of Boris Johnson and the challenge of Corbyn? And what? how do you see the social forces aligned with each side? Well, uh, two points need to be made here. The attack on the extreme center has come from both the left and the right. Mm -hmm. From the left, it has been the forces behind Bernie Sanders. <clears throat> and in Britain, it has been the political insurrection of the youth that took over the Labour Party and made it what it is, Susie. And to give you just one example of, of this change in the Labour Party, there is a constituency on the outskirts of London called Chingford, uh, which used to be a very right-wing constituency. This was where Margaret Thatcher's close uh, colleague Norman Tebbit had his seat. This is a seat occupied now by uh, Ian Duncan Smith, and far-right uh, member of the Conservative Party who comes up with appalling ideas on social welfare, etc., etc. This seat was almost taken away at the last election by a young uh, Bengali woman, Shaheen, 
and Labour are really targeting it. But that's obvious, they would target it. But last weekend, uh, the first week of the election campaign, 500 members of uh, Labour's young arm, Momentum, 500 were in that constituency campaigning, visiting every single constituent, explaining the difference. And I'm told that the results were dramatic. So what Labour has now is young people, well-organized, well-trained in electoral campaigning, who are targeting the, um, the, the marginal seats. In contrast, the Tories, whose average membership age is now above 60, they hardly have any young people, have hired a firm to run their campaign. Wow. A, a pri- they don't have any people to campaign for them, so they've hired, they've privatized the election, and people but run by some PR company will be trained like robots to go and slander Corbyn and, and, and attack uh, the Labour Party. And a single intelligent challenge to these idiots going around the country, they won't be able to give any answers. So that is the difference at the moment, which is why Corbyn is going up and up and up, even in the first week of the uh, election campaign. But to return to your point, uh, the Corbyn-Bernie Sanders examples (coughs) are limited elsewhere. It has been the attacks on the center by the right, like Salvini in Italy, Le Pen in France, the AFD in Germany, mm. that is really challenging the center. And this is, of course, disturbing. They can't blame the left for this, saying this has been provoked by the left. It's been provoked by centra, extreme center policies, and where the left has been incapable of dealing with this, the right uh, are, are campaigning and uh, getting stronger and stronger. So it's not all good news, but what it does prove is that uh, Joe Stiglitz's point that uh, neoliberalism has failed and the last 40 years uh, have been in many ways a disaster, uh, of course, is absolutely true. And many of us were saying it uh, since this whole system was imposed, this version of capitalism Hmm. was uh, imposed globally. And they used to call it globalization, if you recall. And this is now under very heavy attack. And one more point to make on this is that where there are no political, organized political parties doing it, young people are coming out into the streets. We see what's happening in Chile, the complete failure of Bachelet, the former president of the Socialist Party, an extreme center politician par excellence. She had two terms in office. She completely failed to alter the social and political infrastructure left in place by Pinochet, who, apart from being a fascist, was also uh, a firm supporter of neoliberalism. And Chile was the first country which they decided to use as a guinea pig country. And if you saw the, uh, sorry, Terry, just if you looked at some of the incredible banners from the demonstrations in Chile, one uh, said neoliberalism began here and it ends here. And it's, you know, very, yeah, very great. Ap- yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and in, in Beirut, the single most popular slogan, which they all chant, Muslims, Christians, or all, all the 
different sects and factions in this huge secular uprising in, in Lebanon, the slogan they all chant is directed to the politicians. You're all the same. You're all the same, meaning you're all thieves. You create your own oligarchies. You do nothing for us. And the class element in this uh, movement till now um, has been extremely strong. Add to that the big shift. You know, they thought they defeated uh, the, the left in Argentina. Right. Agreed, it's a problematic left. But the neoliberal god praised by the Economist, the Financial Times, the Wall Street Journal is out on his backside yet again. And the uh, Peronists have won. And there have been celebrations in the streets. So it's, you know, a very volatile system. And the failure of global capitalism and its rulers and its directors and managers to understand that the Wall Street crash of 2008 was a decisive event uh, in recent political economy, uh, they had to be taken seriously. They thought they could ignore it and carry on as before. And what we are now seeing politically is that it's very difficult to do that. So you have the Guardian, a middle-of-the-road paper, which newspaper, daily paper, whose columnists have been attacking Corbyn viciously, exactly. including for bogus charges of anti-Semitism hmm. by the Zionist columnist Jonathan Friedland, who's a total Israel supporter. Now, this newspaper has now come out and said, called for a vote for the Labour Party and Corbyn, because they realized, as they say, that Britain does need radical change. This is pretty so, incredible. And it also seems that the Financial Times is basically ba backing the Labour Party. I don't know how it's going to end, you know, in the next three weeks. but They are so far. And basically, the FT sees it as a choice between Brexit and Corbyn. Yes. And they say, faced with these choices, Corbyn is the lesser evil. That is effectively their line. Uh, but it's the it's the shift of the Guardian, which I think is more important because uh, this is the paper that large numbers of uh, people on the left read. This is really good news, Tarek. And I wanted to, you know, there's I really want to get into. Corbyn, on the one hand, you know, highlighting the social programs and economic, you know, way forward and talking about climate change and the Green New Deal on the yeah. one hand. And then on the other, about the massive problem of the poor, as he's been doing. And I guess the question, and it, and it relates to the next area I want to go to, is that, uh, is there a danger that he's failing to speak to the needs of this old-fashioned, declining industrial working class who've been left behind in global politics and all too often lined up with the populist far right, as uh, Johnson did? And, you know, if you look... We have almost the same problems here. And Trump went to Kentucky and said, we're going to bring back coal. But that's a joke. Coal's not coming back. Yeah. So let's, let me hear how that's playing out in Britain. Well, it's not the case in Britain. In fact, Corbyn has faced a horrific problem that he leads a party divided on Brexit. So, you know, millions of Labour Party voters voted to get out of the EU and a few million voted to stay in. And Corbyn himself then has taken a position that he has to defend the interests of all the Labour Party voters 
etc., which it is not easy to do. Mm. But the campaign speeches he's made in the north of the country where leaving was a, a strong movement, they have been very carefully orchestrated and very brilliantly directed at the needs of the working class. And Jeremy has said publicly many times in both the southeast of the country and the north that the key is not necessarily whether you stay in or get out. The key is to create a Britain that ditches neoliberalism and gives people a better standard of life, creates a community spirit. So the, the campaign message is on that front very clear, saying we want a different Britain, and we believe the only political party that can deliver it is Labour, which I don't think is challenged by anyone. I mean, we've now got the deputy leader of the Labour Party, an extreme centre figure who's been trying to sabotage Corbyn for some years. He left the party today. To be fair, he didn't attack Corbyn. He said, I'm leaving for personal, not political reasons. We have Jeremy and I have differences, but I want the Labour Party to win. Unlike some other MPs, his ex-MPs, his supporters, who are calling on people to vote conservative, they're two former Labour MPs, uh, who have called now publicly for Labour supporters to vote for Boris Johnson mm -hmm. because they think Corbyn is unsuitable to be Prime Minister. So all that is going on, but the campaign so far, the meetings have been large. Uh, the mood is good amongst uh, Labour rank and filers who do doing all the hard work. And the Labour campaign video just online was seen by over 3 million people. So it's a huge figure for this country. This is all... So, yeah, go ahead. So we are, we are quite you know, confident, actually, that, of course, it's difficult to predict, but Labour being the largest party or very close to it in Parliament is a perfect possibility. And the Scottish National Party has now... Pub its leaders have said publicly on two consecutive days that if Labour needs their support to form a government, they will give this support by uh, preventing Labour from being brought down, but they will not join the government. They'll support it from the outside, which is fine, actually. Tarek, before you go too much into the coalition stuff, I wanted to just, you know, finish just this one point on, on Brexit, because it seems uh, yeah. that, and then we'll move into that, because this is the next big area. And the, it seems that, you know, Britain is suffering from Brexit in a way that the U.S., you know, is suffering from Trump trauma and that every day that's the only news that there is. It sucks all of the air out of politics. And, you know, it seems that Corbyn has struck the right note first by, you know, explaining that what they're favor, in favor of is a better standard of living for everyone, but also by talking about the programs that he has rather than only talking about the deal that, you know, Johnson will or will not make. That seems to me like a very good point. I wondered, like, how that plays there. Is, are the people in the north of England, for example, still only focused on Brexit or are they, uh, you know, do they want to move on? Difficult to tell. But the general mood is people want to move on, which is why, from our point of view, the best solution would have been if uh, Boris Johnson had done his soft Brexit deal and 
uh, you know, moved on, and then we could have had a campaign completely fought on the issues. He is now not doing that cleverly from his point of view, and is saying that you will only get a Brexit if you stay with me. So we will see, Susie. This is very difficult to predict. Right. On the other hand, um, just yesterday uh, in Telford, um, Jeremy was asked uh, whether the New Deal would continue free movement on the same terms. Very big and issue. He, made a, yeah. he made a very clear reply, which I want to read out to you. Yes. I want our young people to be brought up in a world where they can travel, they can experience other societies, they can make their contribution there. And do you know what? That enriches their lives and enriches the lives of all of us. So I want to make sure all those European Union nationals do remain here, can come here, will stay here, and we will be happy to work with them, as indeed many British people have made their homes in other parts of Europe, making equally valuable contributions to those societies where they've gone to live. So this is right. how he's playing it. And, you know, it's people, even people who don't agree with him, like him best when he's being completely straight. Well, okay, this is wonderful news. And in the last sort of three or four minutes, Tarek, I want to move to, you know, the issue of the British, that it, it could happen that neither Labour nor um, or the Tories would win outright the parliamentary majorities and will probably have to have find allies to get a to get their majority. So you just mentioned that the Scottish National Party, which used to be the base in Scotland of Labour, will, what did you say, uh, work with Labour, if not having an outright coalition with them. What about for the Tories with the Lib Dems? And what impact do you think Nigel Farage's Brexit party will have on this election? Well, very quickly, the, uh, the Scottish National Party has made it clear uh, they will back Labour in Parliament to form a government. The Lib Dems are equivocal, but have ruled out any support for Labour because their very right-wing leader, Joe Swinson, mm. who's, a, who's a member of Parliament from Glasgow in Scotland, I mean, the best solution would be if the electorate withdrew support and uh, didn't back her, and the SNP won that seat. But in any case, she's completely hostile to Corbyn because she says he's a security risk. He doesn't like war. I'm not kidding. <laughs> she actually said that. Wow. And, so, um, and so we have a possibility that the Lib Dems might support a new Tory government. They have, uh, if Forrest has the largest number of votes in, the, in Parliament, because uh, they've done it before. And this Joe Swinson was a member of the last Tory coalition. So that's, uh, that's a possibility, but let's hope it doesn't uh, come to that. Because if Labour is the largest party in Parliament with the SNP, I think they'll be able to form a government. At least that's what we are banking on and, and uh, hoping for. And what about Farage? Is this just a flash in the pan or is it serious? Well, we don't know with Farage, you know, when he's, uh, his model uh, is Trump. So sometimes he can be very lucid and at other times he can just lie through his teeth. So um, if Farage puts up candidates in all the seats, I think this will lose the Tories' seats 
and will improve Labour's chances. Because he will not take seats from Labour. He will take votes away from the Tories, which means that in parts of the North, the Brexit party could be second rather than the Tories. Whereas in the South, if the Brexit party takes enough votes from the Tories, it would put Labour in, and in some cases the Lib Dems. That's what it's looking like at the moment. But we don't know what what Farage and Brexit will do. Well, let's just end, Tarek, with uh, Corbyn again. He he sounds like he's bounced back after the trouble that he had in 2017, and he is responsible for being, I guess, the beacon that brought a half a million people into the Labour Party and made it the largest party in Europe. It sounds like, as you've also said, that he has managed to better articulate his position of bridging the divide among his supporters between leave and remain. So, And you finally said that Momentum is doing an impressive ground uh, campaign. So how do you see this? I, I can't ask you to, you know, to spin the crystal ball, but what do you, what do you think? How do you see support? Well, I'm sort of moderately optimistic. I think Labour will be the largest party. This latest wheeze which the right-wing Labour have developed, Tom Watson leaving the party today, and I'm told they're planning on one right-wing Labour MP leaving every week or every month. (laughs) But, you know, Susie, my line on this is is, is my question to these guys is the following. There's a long tradition of rats leaving the sinking ship. But what if the ship doesn't sink, but actually floats better after they've left? And I think this this is what is probably going to be the case. Well, we'll just have to wait to find out. But I want to thank you so much, Tarek Ali, for taking the time to explain it and give us your analysis and your perceptions about this great, short, intense British election uh, campaign period. Uh, Tarek is a writer and filmmaker. You should check out his latest books, The Dilemmas of Lenin and also The Extreme Center. But there's more than a dozen more of them. And he's joining us from London. Thanks so much, Tarek. Thanks, Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Susie Wiseman. This is Jacobin Radio. Thanks to producer and director Alan Minsky and to Jacobin Radio's Micah Utrecht. Bhaskar Sunkara is the founder and editor of Jacobin Magazine. And special thanks to Robert Brenner. And thanks to you for listening. I'm Susie Wiseman.